they're not making fun of me. That's what we're talking about tonight. Um, if you all would go ahead and pray for me, and then uh, I'll pray and we'll get this started. Oh, Lord, oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for every gift that comes from you, Lord. Uh, we ask, uh, I ask that uh, your spirit move in me and give me the words to say and uh, that the congregation would have the ears to hear and the hearts be open to what it is that you would have me say, Lord, and uh, that uh, you might be glorified in what is said tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so starting with the mouse, um, there was this mouse, he lived way up north in like Canada, Canada, whatever you want to call it, and uh, he grew up, he was a normal mouse for the most part, but he always wanted to be great because he felt left out, kind of like that whole Rudolph thing, you know, he wasn't included, and uh so he was always running around trying to figure out ways to be great. So one day he's sitting in his little mouse hole, and he's sitting at his table, and he's trying to figure out a way to be great. And he looks out the opening of his little mouse hole, and he sees this great big roaring fire. He's like, well, this is great. If I stay in here, I'm going to get burned up. And there's no way I can get through that fire out there. So... Oh, this is just terrible. Well, I'm going to burn up anyway, he says, so I'll try to jump through the fire, and if I live, then I'll be great. So he gets all the way up against the back of his little mouse hole and runs as fast as he can and jumps through the opening, and he lands, and he's looking at himself. He looks at his tail, and he's like, I'm not even burned at all. So he's like, I'm the man. I can walk through fire and not get burnt. I am an extraordinary mouse. And then he turns around and he looks back at his mouse hole and there's no fire. He's like, what? And he looks and what he thought was a great big fire was the sun setting through the opening of his mouse hole. So he's pretty disgusted at this point. So he starts walking and uh, he keeps walking for a while and he gets to this great lake. And he can't hardly see across the lake. It's a big lake. He goes, I know. If I swim across this lake, then I'll be a great mouse. So he jumps in, and he's swimming, and he's swimming, and he's swimming. And like half a day goes by, and he's swimming, and he sees all these little fishes attached to his tail. And he shakes them off, and he swims some more, and ends up swimming all day. And he finally gets to the other side of this lake. And he jumps up out and shakes himself off kind of like a dog does. And uh, he's like, now I'm a great mouse. I swim across that big lake. And uh, he's strutting around again. And he looks back at the lake. And the lake is a man's footprint filled with water. <laughs> and the little fishes that he thought were on his tail were little uh, insects, that, you know, water skipper things. So now Mouse is, like, really distraught. He's like, 
this is not good. I am like a total fool. Uh, I'm not smart at all, you know. Uh, and he sees this big giant tree off in the forest. He goes, I know, this is what I'll do. Because I'm such a fool and I can't be great, I'm going to chew this tree down because this tree has to hold the sky up because it's so tall. So I'm going to chew this tree down and kill everybody and then I won't be so ashamed. So he digs a hole next to the tree and he practices. He's like, when the tree gets ready to fall, I just run over here and duck in my hole and this guy won't hit me, right? So he chews and he chews and he chews and he chews and he chews some more and he uses some floss and he chews some more. And finally, the tree's about to, about to fall and it starts to fall and he jumps in his hole and he's got his hand over his head and he's like, well, maybe it takes a long time for the sky to fall. It is pretty big. And nothing, nothing. He's, he's waiting. So he kind of creeps out of the hole and he looks around and looks up and the sky's still there. And then he looks, well, where'd the tree go? And he sees the tree is a blade of grass that fell over. So now Mouse is like beside himself. He's like, this is not good. So he starts walking across the tundra and uh, he gets to this mountain and this mountain's in his way. So he's like, well, I can't climb over it. I don't feel like walking around it, so I just move it. So he grabs a grain of sand and he picks it up and he carries it over to here and then he goes back here and he picks up a grain of sand and he moves it. He did this for years, years. He was a very old mouse by the time he was able to walk past the mountain. And uh, the moral of this story is supposed to be that greatness takes lots of hard work and stuff like that. And uh, it's a good moral because you should work hard. But uh, true greatness is not through work. It is uh, by doing certain things and certain stuff. If we can get the first scripture verse, should be Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon the rock. So no matter how many mountains you move, a grain of sand at a time, we got construction equipment now, so. But no matter how many mountains you move, that's not greatness. Greatness is hearing the sayings of mine and doing them. Therein lies the greatness. So the whole reason for this mouse story is it, it kind of parallels my life. So this is kind of going to be my testimony. Yeah, I'm a silly mouse that does silly stuff. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I grew up with a mom and a dad and my brother, and uh, we were relatively well-to-do West County people. Everything should have gone in my favor, um, but it didn't. Early on, I had lots of problems and saw therapists and 
one of the therapists told me one day, well, life can't be a rainbow. You can't have fun all the time. And I'm like, I'll show you that you can have fun all the time. And that got me in a lot of trouble. And uh, <laughs> things kind of culminated. Uh, my uh, first year in high school, um, I would be bucking against the system and against my parents and created a lot of strife and a lot of anxiety within me and uh, enough so that they thought that I should be uh, committed to a hospital for a period of time. And I was, and uh, that was not fun. But uh, at, over time, because it wasn't school and it wasn't the group of people that didn't like me and didn't accept me, it was better than going to do that stuff again. So I ended up in a lot of those hospitals where they lock the doors and don't let you out. Um, so much so that by the time I was ready to graduate, I had had maybe three semesters worth of high school, and that was it. So after a while, I decided, well, after I ended up in state hospital because there was no more insurance, I decided that maybe this isn't a good plan on avoiding the things that you have to do in life that aren't fun, that maybe I should kind of conform just a little bit to make people happy so that I don't end up back in state hospital because it's not a fun place. Those of you that have been in prison probably can relate. There's, it's probably not quite as bad, but it's not fun. So uh, I went ahead and did the thing that everybody does. I got a job, did all that stuff, bought a car, bought a really cool Camaro, you know, got a boat. You know, went to the lake and did boat stuff. And finally figured out that I like cars, so I got a job at an auto parts store, and that was really fun. And I'm like, this is what you do. This is what adults do. You have a job, and you get stuff, and the stuff makes you happy, and you go use the stuff, and then when that doesn't make you happy anymore, you get new stuff. So uh, if we go to the next scripture, Proverbs 14, 12, probably a lot of you know this. There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end is the way of death. And uh, that's pretty much where I was headed. I mean, it, it's, I was doing what society told me to do. I had a job. I had a red Camaro. I had a bass boat. What else do you do? So I'm just going along in life, minding my business, doing my things, practicing my sin, digging myself a nice great big old hole in hell. And uh, my family starts going to church and they get saved. And I'm like, that's great for y'all, but I ain't having it. There is no such thing as God. It's just something that you all made up so that you can feel better about yourselves. But I'm not, that's not me. So they had preachers talk to me and all kinds of people that I really didn't care to talk to. And uh, I went about my way. But one week, things changed. And I really can't put my finger on it to tell you exactly what happened. But I became acutely aware that there was something else. 
there was, my way didn't work, and there was a better way. And somehow this was all going to get rectified, and I didn't need to worry about it, but I needed to be ready. So I'm at my auto parts store job, and uh, one of the things I love to do was take trips out west and I'd stay in the cheapest motel you could find or Walmart's parking lot or whatever and go see, you know, the Yellowstone and the Badlands and all that cool stuff. So this truck driver, he comes to deliver our parts and his foot's broken, but he's cool because he's a truck driver. So I'm unloading the truck with him because he can't pull the pallet jack. And uh, I'm asking him about driving and how cool it is out west. And he's like, you know what's really cool is Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, my family's into that, but I'm not. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he left that day, and then he'd come back again. And same thing. I'd try to talk to him about how cool it is to drive an 18-wheeler and this and that and the other and he'd tell me how cool it is to know Jesus so we get done unloading the truck and I'm smoking a cigarette and we're standing beside the trailer there uh, this is up in Ellisville and uh, I'm getting ready to go to lunch and he's like where are you going to lunch I go I'm across the street over there to steak and shake he's like what happens when you cross that Manchester Road there and if you don't look good and a semi-truck flattens you. I go, <laughs> well, my family says I'm going to hell. <laughs> and he goes, he looks me straight in the eyes and he goes, this ain't no joke, dude. Where would you be? Honestly, think about it. And uh, I told him, well, they're probably right. And he said, you want to fix that? And uh, I said, yeah. And... Uh, I prayed a prayer, the sinner's prayer, like, like a lot of you had prayed, but I didn't know what any of it was. I didn't know the Holy Spirit from sanctification, from any of that all. I just said, okay, God, if you say this is what I should do, I'll do it. We go to our next scripture, Ephesians 1. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself according to the pleasure of his will. I was not looking for God. God found me because he predestined me. I answered him was all I did. And that is an awesome thing to look back chosen me before the foundation of the world before the world was even created that I should be holy and blameless predestined to be adopted to be his child you know I struggled with being accepted I wasn't accepted by my peers they shipped me off to mental hospitals you know I was kind of ostracized even in my job but I didn't care but that's acceptance. I didn't know it then, but I know it now. That is the acceptance I was always, always looking for. So 
I dive in head first and start studying the Bible like crazy with uh, a Bible professor guy at our at our church. And um, before I know it, I'm the head of Boys Awana. I'm the assistant Sunday school director, and I'm doing all this really cool work stuff, but I'm not dealing with any of the underlying sin in my life because it's not appropriate to talk about that with your fellow believers. It's not appropriate. And so I'm doing all these great things for the Lord, go to children's camp. And some of the works I did, I think, got honored and they were good. And he used them despite the fact that I was leading basically a double life. I was in sin and you know, hurry hurry up and sin on Monday and Tuesday. That way you can get cleaned up by Friday and Saturday and Sunday. You know, and, and that doesn't work real good. It uh, doesn't work real good at all. If you go to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, it talks about, For by grace you are saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I was trying to work my way in. Because that's what I knew. I didn't, I didn't know. Now, there were several occasions where I would start to deal with my sin, but the shame of it and everything would just drive me back away from being honest. And, uh, you know, that, that eventually caught up with me in that church. Uh, I met a girl, imagine that. And uh, <laughs> that became more interesting than church stuff and uh, I really wanted to be accepted by her and uh, they had a discussion with me one day where they brought up a verse in James about teachers being held to a higher standard and uh, I can't say with my knowledge of the word at that point in time but not applying it to my life like I should have been I had to agree with them 100% that I was unfit for service and so I tried to make it work. I tried to stay in the church and get involved in a men's group and things like that. But I pulled kind of a Moses, you know, Moses. He got called out on killing the Egyptian, and uh, he took off to Midian for a number of years. And uh, I took off for 14 years to Midian and uh, did a lot of stuff there that I didn't do before I was a Christian. And... Uh, I think that's probably has a lot to do with the evil one uh, because he knew I knew better so he could tempt me harder and but ultimately still my responsibility but uh, it was uh, an interesting 14 years um, I tried some stupid stuff like the mouse did I thought oh you know what would be great would be to be a truck driver let's go to truck driver school you know, because if I'm out on the road, then there's definitely no accountability for me as a Christian. And I can get away with whatever I want to get away with. And this is a really good idea. Yeah, it's kind of like swimming across that lake. That It just don't work out. And uh, that one ended up in another mental hospital in another state, which is fun. So, luckily my loving brother made the drive to Wisconsin to get me out of the loony bin and uh, 
what I did discover was sailing. I found this really cool idol. And if you could put the picture up of the sailboat. Yeah, that's actually me in the front there. And uh, I started racing sailboats. Yeah, I'm in the Midwest. I'm going to race sailboats. That's a good idea. <laughs> Believe it or not, there's a lot of it goes on. But uh, I got really good at racing sailboats. And I found some really good friends racing sailboats. And you know what they say about sailors and drinking? That's 100% true. They have a regatta called beers and beer and boats, you know. And so, I mean, yeah, they, they know what they're doing when it comes to both. But uh, that was one of the reasons I was such a good sailor. Everybody would be great the first day, but then when the party happened overnight, the second day, you just, it was like you never even knew how to sail. But see, I didn't drink. <laughs> I didn't drink, so I was great, so I did really well. So, but uh, I found some acceptance there, but it became a big idol because you sail on Saturday and Sunday, and that's when churches are. So you're not going to church if you're on your way to Carlisle Lake at 6 in the morning to go sail boats. And uh, so during the midst of that, I decide, uh, let's go back to school because, you know, I, I was working at a quickie lube at the time, changing oil, and I'm like, I'd really like to work on big, heavy equipment because this is another mouse thing. Because if I work on big, heavy equipment, I'm going to be cool. And it is, it is cool, though, but anyway. So I, so I go to school down here in Lynn, and uh, I am, like, totally exalted in school. I am, like, the best student, valedictorian of my class. Everybody loves me, and there's a reason behind that. I went to school at 30. Everybody else was 19, <laughs> and you have to be 21 to purchase alcohol, so... Yeah, there's a verse in scripture about that, uh, Matthew 18, 6. Uh, but who shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me? It were better for him that a millstone were hanged around his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Me having the life experience that I had and knowing the Lord like I had known the Lord, I did not lead them to Sunday school every Sunday morning. Uh, I led them in the ways of the world, and uh, this verse speaks to that, and I will have to bear the brunt of that. Uh, if the judge, well, I mean, I'm forgiven of it, but still, it, it weighs heavy upon me that I could have been a much better influence to those young men than I was. And, uh, but nevertheless, I was exalted. I got my first job after school, and I worked for a DOD contractor that rebuilt heavy equipment. And uh, those of you who have worked for the government, those are really good jobs where you don't have to do a whole lot. <laughs> so, me being me, I would do just a little bit more than everybody else, and I developed a maintenance program for the forklifts that we use every day. 
hey, you check the oil in the morning, make sure there's no puddles underneath it and there's air in the tires and you can use the equipment. It's not brain surgery. Well, I got like, oh yeah, you're getting a raise for that. You're moving you up a level. And so I excelled there, but God being the God that he is, he had me when I turned at that tr- with that truck driver. He had me 100%. He's just putting up with me so far. So I meet another woman. This one's named Melissa. She's my wife. And this is mostly a good thing. Well, I hope she's not watching. Um, (laughs) But (laughs) I meet Melissa, and for number one, I quit sailing because she was more fun than sailing. So... That was good. But the drive to work was way too long from where she lived. It would have been like 110 miles one way. And I did it for like a month and a half until I found a closer job. And that began my downfall. Uh, Started out really good. I worked on uh, aerial equipment, bucket trucks and such, cranes, things like that. And... uh, I was afraid of heights, but I thought it'd be a good challenge <laughs> for me to to work on aerial equipment. And uh, they had a lot of fun with me the first time I had to take one up. Because the test one, you have to take it all the way up and then spin it around one and then spin it around the other direction and take it. Well, I had to do that, and he's like, my knees were all shaking. And the, the guy was, yes, Nick. It was Nick who was watching me. Zach knows who I'm talking about. And uh, my knees were shaking, and it was a 27-footer. <laughs> and we regularly worked on 60s and 80s. So, But anyway, um, started out real good there, but things changed, and I became too critical of myself, and my self-esteem was low. And it got to the point where everything I touched was just a total show I mean just it'd be better off if I didn't work on it and so I got fired from there so then I go and I get a job still like 80 miles from the house and I've got a daughter now so I'm spending 12 hours a day eight at work and the rest driving back and forth to work uh at this place, but this place is cool because we work on tugboats and we have a shipyard and all this big giant super duper stuff that nobody else wants to work on. Well, there's a reason why nobody else wants to work on them. But anyway, same thing there. Started out great, eventually got fired because I couldn't do my job right. And that that's hard for me to admit. I mean, when I was fired from Mike's, it was for a mistake that I made that I made that was really bad. You know, when you don't tighten up the tail housing bolts on a transmission and all the fluid leaks out while they're driving down the road, that's bad. So, yeah. But that, that was the state that I was in. So, God's trying to talk to me here, but I'm not listening. And... I was so frustrated with the situation that I couldn't uh, 
couldn't seem to be a good mechanic no matter how hard I tried I actually prayed for like the first time earnestly down on my knees in a park and I'm like just fire me Lord if you don't want me to do this anymore just let me get fired and I got fired the next day so <laughs> he listened so so then I'm like well we're gonna try something totally different so I got a job at a foundry an aluminum foundry and uh, there's not a uh, oh I missed the scripture for Psalm 127.1. Uh, Unless the Lord builds the house, they who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. That's what I was doing. I was working in vain because I wasn't honoring God. Had I been, it sounds silly, but I mean, yeah, there's people that are great mechanics out there that don't know the Lord. But for this one, if I'm not in the Lord, I'm not a good mechanic. I tell people all the time, I'm really not a good mechanic. I just try hard, and the Lord honors it. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And plus, I think it's kind of funny. But <laughs> anyway, so I get this job at uh, this foundry, and it's a second shift job, and okay, it's not real hard to be a good worker at a foundry. All you have to do is show up and do what they tell you to. So I do that, and they promoted me to quality control for a while. And that was great, you know, lots of money. You get a little bit of air conditioning when you're in quality control. But the little part of me that still followed God, seeing how, all these people out on the lines were treating the people that worked for him and said, that's not right. Kind of like Moses when he saw the the uh, Egyptian beating on the Israelite. I was like, that's not right. We got to do something about that. So me in my mouse moment again here, I'm going to give up my QC job and I'm going to go back out on the line and be a team leader. And that way I can show people how to do it right. So I get trained and do really well in the training and I can run some pretty good numbers and for the most part people like me and things are going really, really great. So then they're like, well, we need to start training you to be a group leader. And I'm like, group leader? That's like close to 200,000 a year. Yeah, let's do that. So they start training me up for that. And uh, by this point, God had had enough. He's like, he's like, you're either coming back or I'm taking you out, one of the two, basically. And uh, if we can go to Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. Being a second shifter, you get off at 1130 at night. There's an old saying, nothing good ever happens after midnight. I can attest to the fact that's 100% true. Nothing good happens after midnight, and that was the time that I relaxed after work. So, while things are going great on my little aluminum foundry job, I'm running great numbers, 
my scrap's low. I'm doing better than everybody else on the line, training me up to be a group leader. I get this one problem child on my line, and I get driven into insanity again because that's been my past. I mean, and of course, I end up in a mental hospital again. And unfortunately, this time, it was not a quick deal. It was, okay, you're going to go to the hospital. You're going to go through outpatient treatment for a while. And nothing happened. I was laid up in bed for, I believe it was close to 14 months that I basically didn't leave the house. And I was in such a deep depression because here I had tried everything that the world wants you to try. I tried to be a good mechanic. That didn't work. I tried to be a good aluminum foundry guy, which, you know, that shouldn't be that hard to do. I should be able to figure that out. And I couldn't do that. So I'm in the dark for like 14 months. And uh, this is God saying, you're not going to mock me and keep going. I love you too much to let you keep blowing your life away on all this stupid stuff. You're not going to be that mouse. So I had social workers that were assigned to me by the state because I was had applied for disability and all that. And the social worker says, you need to go to a support group. And I'm like, oh, great, a support group. Let's go talk about our feelings. <laughs> and uh, so I'm looking at the list, and it literally, one of them said, Rainbow Happy Day School. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, this is not happening. So at the very bottom of the list, it said, Misfits for Jesus Recovery. And I'm like, I guess I haven't been to church in quite a while, but if they're misfits, I'm I'm definitely a misfit. I haven't really been accepted too much, you know. By this point, my wife's probably like trying to figure out a way to get away from me so that she doesn't have to deal with me anymore. But anyway, um, so I go to misfits recovery. I go to Misfits Recovery one Wednesday night, and uh, we can bring up John 1, 5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. I was in total darkness, and, and I may have cried out to God, but it was more of like a secular, why'd you do this, God? But I went to that group and I heard the word of God being spoken and I saw love for one another and I'm like I see it but I don't fully understand it yet so then I kept going and uh, I was like if this is for real then I'm gonna have to deal with my issues and people are gonna have to know about my issues and I'm not going to be coming into church. Oh, hey, 
Barry, you know, it, it's been a wonderful week and everything is just blessed and the sun is shining and it, it, it needs to be more like, hey, Barry, uh, yeah, I kicked the dog when I got home because the wife didn't clean the dishes up and I'm sick and tired of her and I'm making this up in case you're watching. <laughs> it, it needs to be that kind of real. Otherwise, I'm not doing it because I'm not going to play church like I did before because it does me no good and it does no good to the people around me. So I started coming to group and I started dealing with my sin with a select group of people. And uh, James 5.16 talks about, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person when it is brought about can accomplish much. There's so much truth in that. If you are out there and you don't have at least one person that you can talk to about anything that's going on in your life, you need to have that. Because you've always got God, but sometimes you need to bounce it off somebody else. And you have to have that. And through that authenticity, um, I started to grow. And uh, this one's not in your little bank, but Joel chapter 2 talks about the locusts and uh, worms and eating up everything that you have, but the Lord will restore it unto you. And uh, he did. There was there was a spark there as I'm going to Misfits. Righteous Rides was somehow associated with Misfits in an open house or something. And uh, I'm like, that might be a good idea for me to go volunteer a little bit. And uh, so I started going one day a week and then two. And basically, to, to put it shortly, uh, <coughs> I worked. <coughs> I work five days a week up there now as a missionary for a lot of it and uh, I've been doing that for five years now so and as a mechanic the stuff that I've done at Righteous Rides far exceeds anything that I ever did when I was in the secular trade I mean I swapped out Honda motors and done all kinds of really difficult jobs that were always left to the more professionals than me when I was at the at the secular shops and uh, this was the beginning of a ministry for me and because uh, Righteous Rides has helped me cultivate not only my skill as a mechanic but spiritually you know I'm enriched by the people around me and uh, <coughs> it's it's really good but even in that, um, those of you that were around about a year ago, um, I had a, a, a trip, a falling down, to where I became depressed again and was not useful at Righteous Rides or pretty much anywhere else. And uh, I struggled through that. And uh, Psalm 23.3 
He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. I went through it this time and it was different than any other time because I fought through it with God the whole time and he restored me. But he doesn't restore me so that I'm great, so that I'm like that mouse. Look, I swam across the lake or look, I chewed the tree down that holds up the sky. And he does it so that I can bring glory to him. Not that I'm great. And that's the biggest change in my life is that I realize the things I do, because I, from childhood, I wanted to be great. I was like that mouse. I want everybody to look up to me and I'll be accepted if I do cool stuff and if I can do something better than anybody else does it, if I can sail a boat faster, if I can have a cooler Camaro than anybody else, you know, or a Prowler or whichever. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's not what it's about. And uh, if we can bring up Second Corinthians 12.10. Therefore, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in distress and persecutions and difficulties in behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that, Paul got it right there. He got it right most of the time, all the time probably. But... That's what it what it's all about for me now at the at this stage in my life. It's about the stuff that's not right with me. I still struggle with sin every day. I struggle with being stupid like that mouse all the time. But in all of that, I'm made perfect because of his grace for me. And I know there there's some of you out there that you're doing the works thing and you think that's I mean it's good to do stuff for God don't get me wrong but it's not about that it's about laying it down for him and just saying hey I'm here I have I have a story about tools you know when when I was at Righteous Rides before my first fall, I can remember sitting there and thinking how God had restored everything to me, how I had become a good mechanic again. I was a leader amongst people and so forth. And I'm like, this is amazing. And I was putting some tools away and I opened the drawer up and this is not my toolbox, okay? Those of you that work with me. All the branches were right where they were supposed to be. The 10 millimeters right where the 10 millimeters supposed to be. And I thought, that's how you be a good Christian. You be exactly where God needs you to be. That's how you be a good Christian. And that way when God opens that drawer and you're right there, he can use you. And you should strive to be that 10 millimeter because it's the most used tool nowadays, pretty much. Those of you that turn wrenches. You won't find that in the Bible. But <laughs> but you should strive to be that 10 millimeter, to be always ready to be used by God. 
because tools are expensive. Anybody that buys good tools knows they're expensive. But this tool, this tool and all of you that know Christ were really expensive. They cost Jesus shed blood on the Christ on the cross. And that's what it's ultimately about. Am I am I the world's greatest mechanic? No. But I'm a mechanic and I'm an evangelist and I'm used by God and that's good enough for me. I don't need to be out there taking a grain of sand and moving it from here to there to try to prove something to somebody else. The only one I want to prove it to is him. So we okay on time? I don't even know. I can't even see the clock. So anyway, if there's anybody out there that is not in God's toolbox, is not a tool that God can use, and you want to change that, you want to be accepted into his family like I was, because he will not reject you. He will love you forever and forever. If there's anybody out there that needs to know more about that, that wants that in their life, Please come and see me tonight. Anybody at all, you know, come and see me and let me know. If you're somebody that's struggling with doing the foolish works of the world and you want to know how to get onto the right path with God and do what's really important and what's of everlasting value, come and see me and, and we can find you some help to get there. Don't be like me and spend... 14 years doing utterly stupid things. Yeah, I'm going to work on bucket trucks because I'm afraid of heights. That's a good idea. Yeah. So. But anyway, guys, I mean, it's just, I hope that through this, you didn't see as much of me as you did of him and how he it's changed my life. It's like I said, I was not looking for God when he found me. He found me. I, I didn't want anything to do with him. And so it's his deal. Really, it's his fault. So, <laughs> But life is just so much richer in obedience. It's so much more there than there is fighting against him. I think the Bible says something about kicking against a priest. You know, it doesn't do much good. And uh, don't live that. Don't live that way another day. Stand up. Get some help. Get some people in your life that can point you in the right direction. And do that. Because it's far better than struggling along, chewing trees down, so the sky falls on you. It's just not good. So I'll close this up in prayer so that we can eat. I guess I'll bless the meal too. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we just pray that uh, these words not go unheeded and that uh, that they have been your words, Lord. We uh, thank you for each and every one here. We pray for those who are out of the country serving you for their protection and safety on the way home. And uh, we thank you for that opportunity. 
We just ask as we go out into the world that we continue to be salt and light to those around us, that they may be thirsty for you and may be able to find the way because of the light that we shine that is your light. We thank you for the meal that we're about to eat, Lord. We thank you for your bountiful provision in that, and we ask uh, your blessing upon it that it be sanctified unto our bodies. We praise you, and uh, we love you. In Christ's name, amen. I just want to remind everybody that the, about the um, quarter auction. I know they announced it earlier, but I wasn't here. The quarter auction next Sunday. And um, if you do have something you want to donate, I, you can still donate it. But um, I want you all to know that we have a lot of fun stuff to bid on and to win. Lots of um, cool, 